What is the future of digital streaming? We'll talk about it on this episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. Is TV podcast. I'm Matt Napo. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here. As always, we're going to talk about um, video production, live streaming uh, technology, and uh, maybe the uh, what goes into broadcast production uh, tonight. And it should be a very interesting program because I know a lot, a lot of people out there doing this kind of stuff now really could use some help. Me included, <laughs> not to any small extent, but there are people who could use a lot more help than I can. So uh, maybe this will be a very informative and uh, useful conversation for a lot of people out there tonight. On now, a subject of useful and informative, this morning had a, a very unusual 6 a.m. show here. Now, I haven't seen 6 a.m. in a long time, at least from from uh the getting started p- perspective sometimes i'm seeing it from the actual going to bed time <laughs> laying it down retiring for the night at 6 a.m but rarely uh have i seen 6 a.m from the getting started perspective in a long time i kind of like it i like doing a morning show and i'm considering to maybe maybe actually taking up a, a morning show uh it just seems like a, a fun time to do a show so possible we'll do that more but this morning's program was um my friend michael hilliard who's an investigative reporter from australia and uh michael has been with me before and we i saw him a couple of weeks ago on twitter you know before while when i was on twitter and uh <laughs> he he posted something about the, what he was researching was uh cyber attacks cyber warfare and he posted something to words to the effect that what he was finding was terrifying. So I said, why don't you come on the show and talk about it? So we booked him for today. And then a really informative program about cyber attacks, cyber warfare. And then today I'm hearing about uh, the pipeline thing was almost certainly a cyber attack. And the whole thing was about how the U.S. uh, is telling me about how the U.S. is more prepared than other countries to deal with this stuff. Well, here here it is. They snuck up on us. And whoever did it, and I'm not saying it was necessarily uh, foreign agents, could have been domestic, whatever. Whoever did it uh, breached whatever security systems we have. So really great episode. I think you should check that out. That's uh, this morning with Michael Hilliard. It's a red red line podcast episode. Now enough about that. I got to talk about my sponsors really quickly. Uh, tonight's show is brought to you by MyBookie.com. MyBookie is one of the most popular and trusted brands in the online gambling community. Its sports book offers an incredible variety of sports from American staples such as football and basketball to international sports such as KBO, rugby, and cricket. It even offers wagers on on entertainment and politics and simulated sports and video games such as uh, Madden 21 and NBA 2K21. If you're looking for a line on your favorite TV show, you can most certainly find it at mybookie.com. At MyBookie's casino options are as plentiful as its sports books. There are 27 different table games such as blackjack and roulette and almost 300 unique slot options, 77 of which are 3D. You can even play live table games and video poker. To get started with them, you just go to uh, mybookie.com. Now you're going to want to make sure 
you use the promo code MINDDOG when you sign up. And what's going to happen then? They're going to double your deposit. So you put down a uh, betting deposit up to $1,000, and it will instantly double. So $1,000 becomes $2,000. You can't beat that, folks, if you're a gambler. And especially if you're uh, crazy enough to be gambling on television shows, (laughs) you're going to want to make sure you double your deposit. Uh, Link is in the description, and I do appreciate you patronizing our sponsors. Now, speaking of sports, my guest might know a little bit about sports, I think. Uh, among other things, Howie Zales is an Emmy award-winning camera operator who turned his passion for television broadcasting into several entrepreneurial endeavors. Howard created HC, HJZ Productions Incorporated in 2000 to address the need for professional-level sports crewing staffing in the New York market. Under his leadership, HJZ Productions that's a difficult thing for me to see. Say, HJZ Productions grew to a multi-million dollar nation- nationwide provider of top talent in the broadcasting field. In 2019, Howie and his team founded Veridity Entertainment Services uh, Incorporated, that's VES, uh, which initially focused on staffing in non-union markets. Uh, with the onset of COVID-19 pa- pandemic in early 2020, they quickly pivoted to offering best-in-the-class broadcast quality live streams, unlike this one, of professional sports shows and interviews, uh, corporate interviews and meetings and religious services. In addition, Howie uh, uh, took his love for the television production business and created the TV Sports Course, hands-on training boot camp for the next generation of television crew professionals. Wow, that was a long intro. Apologize for that. Ladies and gentlemen, please open your ears, open your minds, and help me welcome in Howie Zales to the Mind Dog TV podcast. Howie, welcome. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. How are you? Uh, I'm a little exhausted at the moment. That that was a <laughs> long intro. I don't know who wrote it, but uh, thank you. Uh, but it's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. Now, uh, it's, it's a long Emmy award-winning camera operator. I, I never, I, I never even did. Is that one they uh, offer before they start broadcasting? And <laughs> I never heard about that. Yeah, the Emmy for best camera operator. Yeah, goes, it's, uh, <laughs> the Television Sports Awards is its own separate entity. Uh, okay, because <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't watched television in a long time, so I wasn't sure if I actually had missed that or what. Uh, I don't watch television anymore. I no. in, not in ten more than 10 years really uh don't, don't have it in the house and don't watch it not familiar with broadcast television at all the only thing i see is like i watch netflix every once in a while but on a computer yeah. uh so uh that's the way the world is going tell me uh what's totally. changed. my kids the same way they've never they've never seen they haven't watched broadcast tv in a very long time Right. So uh, tell me, where did, uh, what is your focus now? Is it about this online um, uh, streaming stuff or is it more in sports uh, production? Because sports production uh, still seems to be the only thing people are really uh, going to television for as well, live sporting events and stuff. What's, what's your main focus? So it's actually a little bit of both. Uh, we specialize in uh, live streaming uh, all different types of events, uh, from cooking shows to award shows to talk shows, similar to this one, um, all different types of events. And now we're starting to get into streaming sporting events, uh, whether it be boxing, track and field. And these are like smaller type events that don't have the money for broadcast TV uh, and maybe not wouldn't even get seen. But, uh, you know, with the event of live streaming, these these events could be aired and be seen by you know people globally right well i have the url for your broadcastsportscourse.com uh 
going across the the bottom. Yeah. Now, when I went there earlier, I I noticed the one thing I noticed immediately was the huge uh, television style cameras. And the question I have, um, sure. in, in the era of live streaming, are are those big cameras still necessary? Not for live streaming, but for like uh, if you would watch, you know, uh, uh, an NFL game or NHL game or or Major League Baseball game, those types of cameras, without a doubt, are definitely needed and used. But for live streaming type events, absolutely not. Um, And forgive my naivety, because I've. I've seen a lot of productions that rival television and, and not sporting to get, where the action is very fast, but I've seen a lot of productions that rival television type productions using really high end like uh, prosumer cameras and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. in the digital age because uh, it, it just seems easier to control, easier to man, easier to get into events like that. So what what is the big advantage of that? those gigantic old-fashioned yeah, Sullivan studio. <laughs> <laughs> so the biggest thing, one of the biggest reasons we use those cameras is because of the lens um, and the amount of glass that is in the lens because typically you're far away and um, you could, with, with those big cameras and those big lenses, you can zoom anywhere from 86 times to 100 times. Uh, and then you could, there's a button on it to double it. So uh, that's the reason for those big style cameras is strictly the lens. And it's a huge amount of, uh, you have to be, it's not, it's an art. Uh, it's a, an art and a science and it's an athletic endeavor in, in, in itself to, to operate one of those cameras. Yeah, yeah. And, and every sport is, it has its own formula and how it's shot. So not only do you know have to, you know, obviously use the camera, but you know how to, you have to know what sport you're shooting and you're, it's almost like being a player in that event. You have to know what's going to happen next and, and anticipate. And there's a certain mindset and a certain character that can do that job. Not everybody can do it, right? So not everybody can be trained in that. And I'm just thinking mindset-wise, you have to be cool under pressure and cool. Yeah. When the director says to get this shot, you got to be able to do it without panicking and saying, oh, how do I do that again? So it takes <laughs> it takes a lot of uh mindset character and a little bit of athleticism to do the job well so i not everybody can do it right and you have to be prepared you know you have to it's like any other thing you have to do your homework and study and you have to know you know if if who's gonna who's number five on the team you know you have to know the players numbers their names who are the what are the storylines i didn't even Uh, consider all that stuff and you, you have to be able to listen to the announcers because you have the announcers in your headset and you have to be able to listen to the announcers. What are they talking about? And if they're talking about, you know, the coach, you need to find the coach instantly. You got to know where they are. So, wow. So they're not, uh, are they listening to the director and the announcers simultaneously? So if you're operating one of those big cameras, you have a double muff headset like yours. And in one side is the director. The other side are the announcers. If you're operating a handheld camera, it's one sided. And you have kind of like a mix oh. of of both. 
that would be that would drive me absolutely nuts. I'd be like schizophrenic. Like, who do I listen to? Somebody shut up! You know, uh, it does take a little of getting yeah. used to. So the uh, the learning curve on this now, from the minute somebody signs up for your course or, or starts to train to this, they're not going to get a good job for. A, they, I mean, a realistic uh, expectation for a job within television is, is many years away, is it not? Yeah. So we, we give people the basic training on on how to use the equipment, how to put the cameras together, uh, how to coil cable. We tell them how to function on the job, what's expected, how to go about clients, who the clients are. And then we provided that I wrote a book with the help of uh, some people in the industry. And it's basically a manual on how to shoot baseball, basketball, hockey, soccer, boxing from every camera position. Uh, you don't put lacrosse in there because lacrosse is not a major sport, right? It, yes. Lacrosse I, is very hard to shoot, though, because you never know who has the ball. Right. And I, I, I say that because I got one of these headhunters approaching me just this morning about well, lacrosse uh, and a, a prof- semi-professional, I guess, in my area. And I'm in your area. I guess you're in New York. I'm on Long yep. Island. Okay, so, great. Uh, but Long Island Rough Raiders, uh, yep. is that, yeah. So is that professional? I don't, I've no, I don't know anything about. Yeah, it. I think they are. Yeah, uh, they they were looking for camera operators, and I thought, well, that's unusual. I mean, I had done some high school across at some point, but I, I I definitely would not be able to handle one of those cameras if that's what the job was called. <laughs> anyway, um, but so um, the whole thing is. Is confusing because for me because of I mean looking forward as a vocation. Now as I kind of we set the the um, precedent for this by saying I I don't watch television anymore. Your kids don't watch television anymore. Generations in the future I think are moving away from this stuff. So the less the, of television there actually is, the less of these jobs there are. The more people that train for it. Uh, probably will end up in the corporate level, church level, those type of live streaming productions and those kind of things. So the jobs will be more in those areas, will they not? In the um, I, I think there's always going to be sports. There's always a, a need for sports product, uh, sports uh, technicians we call them, uh, because sports is people love sports. It's a it's a way to get it, get away, and you know. Um, so I think um, the need for sports. Uh, technicians will always be there, but yeah, this the uh, live streaming world is just another avenue for people to work, um, and it's just going to provide more, more, even more jobs. Yeah, I, I definitely could see that that there will be lots of jobs in the live streaming industry, uh, and one of the biggest areas that is blowing up, I kind of alluded to, is churches, right? So churches are a big money. Church productions are becoming a big money thing. I right? can you talk a little bit about that. Yeah, we um, and that's kind of how I got into live streaming is uh, at the beginning of the pandemic last year, uh, I was talking to the rabbi at the temple and I said, you know, I think this is going to this is going on for a while. We need to kind of pivot and find a way to produce the services for for everyone. And uh, I came up with a plan. I spoke to some people and did a lot of research and we developed the live streaming aspect of our temple services. And then I thought, hmm, there's got to be a way to monetize this. And, uh, you know, look, we were fortunate enough to get a few clients and put our name out there. And, you know, we developed a business strictly based on live streaming. Right. Uh, and I, it's, you know, televangelism and all that. Church houses of worship have, have been using television for a long time. But I think now it's, I 
I think even before the pandemic started, they were starting to use it in, in big ways. But it would always be that long, boring shot, the wide shot that is the entire uh, house from the back of the house and not uh, really any production value stuff. Now what we're seeing, I think, in the last year, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong on this, is all of a sudden it looks like a professional directed thing where uh, you're seeing close-ups and, and all sorts of different yeah. angles and moving cameras and somebody with a, you know, a, a, a steady cam or something. Uh, is that is that the trend now? Is big, Abs- big- Absolutely. Uh, for the holidays in September at our temple, uh, I worked closely with the rabbi in the canton. We had four cameras uh, that I, I would switch between, and I had the ability to pan and, and zoom them. And uh, within the services, we had 10, depending on which one it was, we had 10 or 15 videos played that the rabbi went out through the community and created it and edited it himself. And um, throughout the fall, I taught him what I what I was doing. And now he, he does it on his own. I set them up with uh, three cameras and, um, <laughs> and uh, he switches it uh, right on the side of him. And uh, uh, he's got an IP controller and can pan and zoom the cameras himself. And uh, it, it's awesome. Wow. And for the bigger events, I, I come in and I help out. And uh, once in a while, if we have to do it fully remote, uh, I'll 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 do it also. But uh, yeah, that, it's and we're even talking about bigger and better things for this coming September. What does the future hold for the industry in terms of our AI and stuff like that? Because uh, I think every industry where people requires hands-on to do something. Everybody's a little bit nervous about the robots that are going to come and take our, our job. Robotic cameramen and stuff like that, are, are, do you, are any concern about that? No, because I think um, you still need people, right? And and things, uh, technology still requires humans to operate it. So. Right, today. But I'm thinking 10 years, 20, 20, I'm thinking future, what, 10 years, 20 years down the road. Do you think that that's the case? No, I th- I think uh, humans will always be be needed without a doubt. Oh yeah, I think maybe needed, but maybe not doing the exact same things. I think we need you know kind of be prepared to adapt to, uh, in some some ways you know programming robotics and all that kind of stuff. Yes, abs- absolutely. It's, things it's hard, might change. It's hard to tell, but in, in any technology based business, you kind of have to be looking down the road because the things change so fast and so rapidly. So have you seen any major changes in the last year? Yeah. To give you an example, um, because of COVID, right? So the NBA did not want any uh, handheld camera operators underneath the basket. So what they did was they put robotic cameras underneath the basket, but trained the handheld camera operators on how to use the robotic cameras. Right. So, right. So yeah, that and that that's happening now. So, but what what about other like big changes that you have seen? Have you seen big changes in the last year in the way things are done? Anything upgrade that you know? Uh, yeah, the the whole live streaming industry. I mean, it existed, but the the way that it it was used and it was maybe five years down the road. The technology was there. People really weren't using it. Um, but it just, because of COVID, it just five years sped right up. 
I want to see something here. Oh, yeah, I can do this. Yeah, we can do that. That's good. All right. Yeah, th- uh, I started using this StreamYard uh, yeah. thing before before the pandemic, just before the pandemic. I don't think they came out long before that, though. I think just right. a few months. Uh, and before, we were really talking about Zoom and StreamYard basically and up until uh, January of 2020 when right. all of a sudden we started ta- finding. Now there's a million of these companies that are coming on board. Some of them have deep pockets behind them public uh publicly funded you know right. corporations behind them uh do you see any um trends or idea you know any predictions on on what is going to be the game yeah. changer game breaker winner I, I, of the day yeah i think the game changer and and it's uh what we use is uh v, a program called vmix which is a windows based software it's basically a tv truck in in a box i i could do everything that you can do that you would need a tv truck for on the computer and it's broadcast quality high definition uh, i can take in cameras audio we can do instant replay graphics and it's used in so many different ways across the live streaming world Wow, interesting. So, uh, explain what, uh, and I don't even know. So, I'm sure a lot of the audience doesn't know what what does broadcast uh, quality mean today? Is it 1920 by 1080 at a certain codec? Is it yeah. 4K? Yeah, ni- high def 1920 by 1080, not 4K. Um, but basically, what using by producing a show using VMix and our workflow, anyone that would basically be inside the TV truck can be 100% completely remote in their house. Wow. Very yeah. cool. Very yeah. cool. They do not have to be on site. You literally just need some camera people, some utilities to maybe run some cable, and it all can be with the proper Wi-Fi or proper internet uh, connections. It could all be remotely you know, shot back and, and switched remotely. The Wi-Fi part is uh, is uh, interesting to me because uh, to do this, I can't I can't rely on Wi-Fi. I could probably do it, and I have gotten away with operating on Wi-Fi, but I need to be cabled up. Yes, in, and I'm doing nine, uh, 10, 19, 20 by ten eighty streams here. But um, if I tried to do this whole thing, I would get with certain people anyway. I would have definitely uh, interruption problems, streaming lockups, and things like that. So, is that a consideration for? I mean, bandwidth is always a consideration, but on the up upstream part of it, is that a consideration when you're doing broadcast quality? Absolutely. Uh, we have um, our biggest issue, and what we fight the most is if is someone's upload speed, right? Uh, I work with a gig at, in my office, but uh, some people's uploads and people think, you know, when they think uh, they have great internet, they only are concerned with their download speed. And right. maybe that's just what they know, right? So if someone has 200 download speed, they think they have the best, best internet. But we were working with someone last night that had uh, 200 download, 300 download and had two upload. <laughs> it, it was almost to the point where we, couldn't have them in the in the broadcast because it was unbearable. 
Yeah, I had one guest who I absolutely could not put on the air. When he got uh, here, we were testing it, and we tried rescheduling several times, even had him plug in directly to his uh, modem at home, cable modem, whatever he was using, and just could not get anything resembling, uh, you know, natural-looking, natural-sounding stuff. So, But on the other part of it, though, the downstream part of it is important because not everybody's going to have great reception uh, so that's going to hinder the industry growth as far as live stream too, right? Yeah. So, but we always work with a backup. Um, and what I mean by that is we always work in, in the cloud. We never do anything off our, our computer locally. So um, I could have a, and I, I work with a team of people. So we could be doing a production. And if the power goes out at my house, the production could continue because it's happening in a cloud. So it, it's not affected by just one person's internet or one person's, you know, power. Um, should should my computer go out? You know, uh, it's it's not a problem. And we've experienced all of those all of those issues. <laughs> we we also have um, bonded cellular routers as a backup, and we have used or will use soon. Uh, you know, the live view technology where you can it's basically a satellite dish without having the satellite dish. Yeah, um, this winter. I had a guest on. It was an afternoon show, and I had a guest on, and I got some kind of storm. Tree came down, power yeah. outage, uh, and I did not know it. The show was still live, and so I was scrambling around trying to get power back on, and finally it took me like 15 minutes to get power back on. Clicked the button, finally got booted back up 22 minutes later or whatever, and he's still sitting there waiting for me to come back. <laughs> but it was still live, and so we never we never lost the stream, I guess. Uh, uh, it's just it, – it was it, – surprised the hell out of me that that happens but i guess because of that um that cloud part of it which is the, the middle part of it the stream never gets lost right right Thing developments in here so what, what do you see um you know that part of it going i mean for internet talk shows like this only you know i'm basically using a webcam and, and streaming live is that going to be the norm for for a while, or is, do you see it going to multicam shoots and, and multi-source, you know, type of uh, productions within a talk show environment? Like, Yeah, that? I mean, that's what, we, that's what we do. Last night we had uh, three guests on, and they were in all different parts of the country, and the crew were in all different parts of the country. Uh, next week we're doing four guests, and they're all going to be, again, in different parts of the country. And our crew will be in their respective homes across the country. Have you solved the problem of latency for uh, for remote musical performances and things like that? So uh, yeah. if, if I want to play guitar and my friend is in uh, wherever, someplace else, and he wants to play bass along with me, uh, is there any solution that will – because I, I can't find anything that – yeah, help. basically in, in our software that we use, uh, you can build in, there's latency and you can, uh, you know, build it in as much as you need or take out as much as you need. So basically we, we have really no latency whatsoever. Uh, is that a huge cost? No, it's, it's part of the, uh, it's part of the program. Really? So uh, is your focus now more teaching or, or pro- it sounds like you're doing more production than teaching, no? Yeah, we're 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 doing a, a lot of uh, live stream production. Um, we hope to run another course uh, 
maybe in late summer, early fall. We we held off on doing it. We did one course in the in the fall last year, but we kind of held off because with COVID, we really weren't sure where the industry was going right yet. So we we held off on doing uh, uh, a second course, but we're going to do it again probably late summer, early fall. Uh, is, uh, now, people used to traditionally go to vocational school for, for a, a couple of years to, to learn this. How long is your uh, your course? So it's a two-day boot camp with six months to a year worth of follow-up uh, and hopefully like internship-type work. All right. So when now, when they're going to teach the course, they have to be physically present. To, yeah, to yeah. Be part of, yeah. So that, that requires COVID to be completely over. That's that's what we ran into, yeah. Yeah, that's that's not uh, that's. I don't. Uh, are you optimistic for that? Yes, you are. Yeah, uh, I mean, in New York, we're pretty much uh, open up. Most of the arenas will uh, are going to be at full capacity. I think uh, early this summer. So, uh, um, yeah, I, I hope. I, I am hopeful. Yes. I'm hopeful. You know, because today I got a call about performing in nursing homes again because this is one of the things i i do as a kind of uh hobby a you know extra side vocation is performing nursing homes and stuff like that and got the call that um they were going to be opening up and you know well, people wouldn't call me for work again I said, oh that's nice and then <laughs> within an hour i heard about a, a local nursing home somebody i know who works in it who has a, a um a bunch of positives again today right. and then so every time i think of that i think well one step forward in this and two steps you know, back yeah and it's you never you're not never sure what the the future holds with this thing and i don't even know uh, you know i don't know what what's going to happen but i'm not really all the, i'm by nature not an optimist so i'm all right. we're going to go back to another complete lockdown eventually. <laughs> uh, hopefully, hopefully not hopefully not right but i i don't so who's your um your prime student, I guess. Somebody who's the, who's the right person. Well, you know who who's this course for? Yeah. So anyone that um, you know, in high school, I went to college, and I only went looked at colleges that had um, broadcast or TV production uh, majors. So someone graduating college that is, did that, or someone in high school that doesn't want to go to college but knows they want to get into TV. Right. Um, do you see that, um, uh, there is, and I don't, I'm not asking you to kind of be controversial here and put people down, but I, I'll put it this way. I've noticed that a lot of people who think, uh, broadcast production is, is really easy at doing these things and they're really, really bad. At, I mean, uh, nothing seems right about their productions from the audio being unclear to all of it, uh, and finding out, uh, that, Though everybody wants to get into live streaming, it it really would help you get some kind of uh, technical training and production training and understanding the aesthetics behind production. Yeah, I, and absolutely. The reason why I was able to make a, a quick pivot is because I've been working in the industry for 20-something years already. Right. So I, I've been to the biggest events and shot the biggest events there are from Super Bowls to Kentucky Derbies to WrestleManias. So I've had the experience. So that's what allowed me to make that quick pivot. But yeah, yeah. just to, you know, slap a camera on your computer and 
hit go or, or stream doesn't make you a live streamer. You know, it, it's kind of insulting to what you do when people think yeah. that. And it, it's kind of what I say about podcasting all the time. People who, who you know jumped on the podcasting bad wagon after COVID nineteen. Um, they, none of them had, or a lot of them didn't have any radio experience at all, never had any broadcast experience at yeah. all. And in, in a way, it, it's a little bit insulting to think, ah, I could just do your job. I mean, right. tell that to your doctor. Right? Yeah, I mean, and someone, you know, someone I spoke to called up and said, oh, I heard you're doing Zooms now. I'm like, <laughs> no, that's not what I do. Right. Um, is there uh, on, on your uh on this broadcast course.com broadcast sports course.com are there examples of some some stuff that people can see of your work or, or is there any other places um i think on our website veridityentertainment.com there might be oh i i'll get that one in the link okay. too i i you know i have to uh search around when i yeah. search howie's ales i get a lot of jewelry stuff on it. <laughs> <laughs> not related though yeah or if i uh, search ves i get a bunch of other kind of veterans uh okay. entitlement services and all that stuff so it was it, it was a, a scramble just to find broadcast sports <laughs> uh, so um you're uh is it basically for younger people though that was kind of my question or can somebody like decide yeah i'm 35 years old or something looking for a change in a direction i'm just sick of my job looking do you have people like that that are prime for the course and can you learn it that late in life you can learn it absolutely, but um, you know it's not an. And I wouldn't. And I tell this to people. I said, don't think you're going to take the course and you're going to get a job overnight, right? It doesn't doesn't work that way. It, it's it's you know I've been doing this twenty something years, uh, so it we're just giving people the foot in the door uh, with um, how to operate how to operate equipment. We're giving them a book on how to shoot sports. And we're also giving them a network of people, right? Because I'm connected to a huge network of people nationwide. So that's the other, uh, you know, attraction of it. Um, and we can help people get jobs, but it, it's not an overnight thing. You know, it's this is a craft that you have to learn and 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 it, you never stop learning. Yeah, I think that's it. And now I kind of was trying to make that point earlier that uh, to set your expectations in anything uh, and have the patience to understand if you're going to get into this, you're not going to be you're not going to get a, a CBS sports job, uh, you know, after graduating. It's not going to happen like that. You got to get yeah. into the trenches and pay your dues. You know, you'll be working at the lo local cable news TV stuff if, when as a starter or something like right. that, or even I, public, I public access or something. <laughs> yeah, I, I did an internship at a PBS station. I learned there. I uh, shot news at an NBC affiliated for two years. I learned there. And then I kind of found my way into sports, which is what I wanted to do. Right. Uh, so are, are you are you living a dream right now? I mean, as far as uh, this is always what you wanted to do and feel like, you know, I love my life. I love my job. I love the purpose that I Yeah, I, I love what I do. I um, uh, in high school, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to shoot sports TV. Uh, I was I've been fortunate enough and grateful to have traveled the world shooting uh, all different types of sporting events from Olympics. You know, I've, I've done eight Olympics and 
Um, I've traveled the world, so I, I love what I do. I'm grateful for all the opportunities I've had, but um, I also love what I'm doing now, and I don't have to get on an airplane to do it. <laughs> right. Well, I appreciate that. And anybody who uh, connects with their purpose in a way that you know they feel fulfilled, like this is what I'm supposed to be doing, and that, I think those are the happiest people. And I, I talk about this all the time. The mo- people who are walking around miserable, generally because they hate what they do. Mm -hmm. and so if you find what you do and so i you know when asking that uh question about who's your ideal candidate for for learning this stuff you know i think it's important to have some kind of passion and real interest in the not just thinking well that might be and it's okay to try it out if you have if you come from this point of well it might be something that that's right for me i'd like to see see about it but uh if it's not really your, your, if you're not passionate about it and don't love it and see yourself doing this for the rest of your life, it's probably not for you. Right? No, because, you know, um, and this is stuff I didn't, I didn't learn in college and I missed a lot of family gatherings, a lot of uh, weddings and, and just family events, uh, a lot of time with my kids because traveling. Um, and, you know, that's, that's part of it. Absolutely. Um, little sip here got up at six o'clock this morning i don't usually do that (laughs) so it's taking a lot of coffee to get through the day i get Um, up at five every day well god bless you sir (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) i think your publicist i'm not i i'm pretty sure about this but i'm not sure uh, i'm not 100 percent positive so i think i remember your publicist writing to me originally and saying ask him about why he believes you should always follow your instinct or, or gut yeah. in business. Yeah. And I think that uh, I'm really curious about that because it stuck with me because it runs counter to what a lot of the business moguls and, and experts I've had. Uh, not not that you should never uh, pay attention to your gut, but always always uh, believe in your gut and your instinct is, yeah. is counter to what they say. So tell me about why that, where that belief comes from and, and how you apply it. Yeah, so um, my first company, HJZ Productions, we were uh, in, I want to say, May, April, March, April last year. We uh, were asked to crew the West Point, United States Military West Point graduation. And we hired the entire crew from the director to PAs. And the director said he wanted his own personal TD. And I said, well, you know, I have plenty of TDs. I've been sitting home for three months. They could really use the work. And he's like, no, I got to have my guy. And I was like putting a, starting to put up a fight, but then something clicked in my stomach and in my head. It said, you know what? Just go with it. There's a reason. So I, I met uh, I met the director's TDs, Jamie, and I was like, we, we hit it off instantly. He had got into live streaming at the beginning, uh, right at the start, and uh we talked and talked and talked and, you know, he helped me get started and he's one of my closest friends and, and teammate, you know? So I went with my gut, I, I dropped the fight and I said, okay, we'll go with Jamie. And, you know, it's, it's, it's been a godsend, you know? Pretty, pretty cool. Pretty cool story there. Uh, yeah. So uh, that is, uh, I guess that's food for thought. I mean, there is something to both parts of it, paying atten- pay attention to your gut and your instinct. And sometimes, um, I don't know, sometimes you have to kind of weigh things against all considerations. I don't know what the answer is, but I'm glad that worked out for you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you, you so you're running two different companies right now? Yeah. Is that, yeah. Uh, 
do you, do you find any um, any challenges with trying to run two different companies at the same time simultaneously? Yeah, uh, I, I did. I was feeling like a little lost, and I didn't know a little scatterbrained. I didn't know how to, you know, which which company do I pay attention to, you know on which day and and so I, I i seriously so i hired a business coach and he really kind of like set me straight and kind of gave me you know how to do things he said you need to have someone in charge of each company that is not you and cool. and that like triggered like and that's exactly what i did i have one person that is in charge of each business and i kind of oversee both well that's exceptional it's exceptional yeah. first that you realize you need help and advice, and then you took the advice without give, putting up a fight. Because yeah. I've been around enough CEOs who, from from the outside, you can see that they need they need somebody else to to, to kind of uh, help them steer the ship. Uh, and they, uh, you can make that argument with them, and they, it rationalize it and rationalize it, and they'll fight you back on it. So, congratulations! I think that's acceptable on, on recognizing you need the help and then accepting it without without getting defensive and fighting back. I think that's oh, no. it, it, yeah, yeah, that's a great lesson for for uh, uh, entrepreneurs and people who, who are in businesses. You know, uh, the recognition is important, but then the um, the follow through and trusting that you're getting good advice. How, how did you find this business coach? And, and, you know, yeah, that, um, that's an important part to make sure you got somebody good on that. Yeah. So, uh, and that was, in, this is another story of following my gut and how things kind of work out. Right. Um, I, I had this, the gym I was going to at the time, the owner was, uh, said, you know, you should come out to this mastermind that I'm running with, uh, me and Bedros Kolian, who's the fit body bootcamp. Uh, he owns the franchise fit body bootcamp. And I'm like, no, I can't, I'm supposed to see my kids. And, and he goes, I'm telling you, this is going to be a great opportunity. So kind of, you know, weigh the option. And, uh, one of my kids, uh, had a birthday party or something and the other one wanted to see a friend and I said okay you guys do that and I, I kind of went with you know this and I went out there to California and I met Pedros and I went to this mastermind and then that turned into going to another mastermind with them and then um, I was speaking with Pedros and I said you know I think I could really use your your help he has a lot of you know uh his, half of his business is a coaching business and I know someone that had used him as a, as a coach. So I'm like, I think I could definitely benefit. And, uh, I, I never would have written a book if it wasn't for him implanting it in my, in my head that I could do it. Now, where is the book available? Is it Amazon? It, is it, is it, it's, uh, it's actually the... only with the core. It comes with the course. Okay. Yeah. So people can't just buy the book. Uh, no. Not yet. That, Not that's yet. a shame. <laughs> <laughs> that people don't want to read it anyway. Right. Uh, so, it, it, but at some point, yeah, I would think yeah. it was a no-brainer, right? Yeah, to, absolutely. <laughs> I'd hope so. Uh, so, um, you're are you in New York City or, or are you Long in, Island or in Rockland County, just north of the city? No, Rockland County. Uh, I don't know what the uh, trend is there, but here on Long Island. Uh, entertainment uh, is the production values have gone insane. Like live bands, you used to go see a band, 
like at the beach or something. And they'd set up a little PA and start playing. Now you have these massive concert stages with large PAs, video walls, and all, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And uh, I was thinking at some point, you know, that stuff is going to – uh, the next logical step is to do it in some kind of broadcast format. Is that an op- uh, a, a a potential business that you see opening up in, yeah, in your field? Yeah, we've already done it. We did uh, at West Point. We live streamed. They were only allowing a certain amount of people in the uh, hall, and we live streamed throughout the entire campus so all the cadets could see a Wycliffe John concert with uh there was two opening acts two dj opening acts very so cool we had uh five cameras and we streamed it throughout the entire campus five cameras wow yeah. that, that's pretty cool uh sometimes the number of cameras can get absurd on some of these events can it i mean i i think you know you lose track at if you're trying to watch a performance and looking at it from a technical aspect aspect sometimes you can think Man, it's got to be a hundred cameras here because the you know the ability to zoom in, zoom out, and all that stuff, right. and they're going back and forth, and so it's hard to really tell. But sometimes the number can get really absurd. Yeah, right? if you're doing like a concert, we try to put a camera stationary on the drum kit. You know, yeah. one wide shot, one tight shot. You know, type things like that. Yeah, I saw uh, one production house that had a ball of GoPro cameras, seventy-two of them taped oh. around a ball. Really. <laughs> I was like, man, that's really getting extreme. Like, if you need 72 shots from a 360-degree angle to, to tie into. That's crazy. Yeah, and, like, how often are you going to go to that shot? I hope right. it's not too often because you're going to get people sick, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so part of of of, of the your art, aside from the science and technology of it, part of it from the artistic perspective is knowing not only knowing what to do, but it's always it's knowing what not to do and when not to do it, right? I mean, because with that that is a perfect example of that that idea of a seventy two camera three hundred and sixty degree shot. Well, it's funny you said that. This just came up in my world uh, last week. Uh, I just finished this book called Essentialism: What's Essential and What's Not Essential, and learning when to say no. Right. So um, we had this job come come to our lap. It would have been really good amount of money, but it just didn't seem right. And there was too many hiccups along the way. So we said no, because we don't want we don't want, you know, something we don't want our name attached to something that could go bad, especially (laughs) for a lot of reasons. Right. So I literally, uh, you know, just learned how to how to say no and what what's essential. Wow. Yeah, that's a great lesson. And my wife is like, re- was really on me to kind of learn that lesson. She she gave me that book, and um, it was you know a really good good lesson. Wives can be a blessing in in that way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's counter to what I said this morning. Don't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, now I think the subject was uh, of this morning's program was cyber warfare, and uh, the guest was saying how uh, even though every diplomat or people in government or in high level positions can do their best to be as secure as possible. Their wives sometimes will have, uh, you know, their cell phones still on Wi-Fi and all that stuff and, and <laughs> vulnerable. And so I, I made the comment, well, I guess if you're in, in government or in a high-level uh, infrastructure position, the only thing to do is kill your wife. <laughs> and uh, So I, I made a complete 360 in nice. one day. Nice. In 12 hours, 14 hours, whatever it is. <laughs> well, um, so it's an interesting thing. And, and so uh, do you think there will be um, 
for and I know this is not your forte, but uh, entertainment programming from the networks, television, and all that stuff. Do you think that's part of our future as well? Because it seems to me network television is becoming. It's got so much to compete with, with all the streaming services and all that kind of stuff, Netflix and Hulu and you name them. Uh, that part of television production, the, the entertainment part, do you think that's still going to be the same 10 years from now? No way. They just can't keep up. Right. So where, how do you, in your, if you had a crystal ball, what, how, what would you predict for the future of television? I don't even know if there's going to be the, the, the big three networks, four networks. Right. I mean – Aside from sports production, I don't, I don't think there's there's any way that they stay around in the same capacity. Right, and, and they they seem to have the streaming stuff down really well. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you see like an MMA event or something like that streamed, it's as just as flawless as as television yeah. reception, right? Yeah, yeah. And we're already there. And back in the day, uh, what was the word they used? Um, <sighs> I can't remember, but back in the day when broadband first came out, they, they, there was this word that might have began with a C something, but it was about uh, convergence. That's what oh, yeah. uh, convergence. That was a big term, right? Convergence of broadband streaming and television, and it's all going to be one thing. Right. Uh, but uh, it seems to me that the digital world is quickly going to replace that whole analog world 100%. You agree? Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. So the idea of convergence was um, a little bit you know, misplaced, I think. Exactly. Yeah. Um, do you think, do you think there's a new, uh, you know, bandwidth solution coming down the road at any point? You know what? And this is sad, but most of the country has worse internet than most people have good internet. Right. And so I think the country needs to solve that problem first is to get, high high speed broadband internet to the entire country and that yeah, needs to I, be like i think most of us who live in the areas where you can get you know really good home internet service i mean it's spectacular we take it for granted now oh, without a doubt yeah uh, so th- it's not like this everywhere i mean i have a gig coming into my house it's not like this everywhere yeah yeah uh so uh, but you don't think there's going to be any like new breakthroughs in in technology. I mean, you're not going to get any faster than fiber, right? Fiber, right? Uh, no, I don't think so. Yeah. So, uh, so the idea is to get it to more people, not but not that anything newer and like yeah, ten gig and, is going to be coming to the house or anything. Yeah, so. and you, you you know you're never going to see 4K on on a, on your computer. It'll never happen. It's nothing is even broadcast on TV in 4K. Right. So it'll never be 4K you know, over the internet. I, I I think you're right about that. And I've been trying to, you know, so many people, I need 4K equipment, 4K uh, uh, cameras and 4K television sets. And I'm like, it's what? a gimmick. It's, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. all a gimmick. And, and at some point, I mean, how much your eyes can't see 8K, right? You're, uh, so, uh, Not, some- nothing is broadcast in 4K. Right. Um, the reason 4K is used in sports is if there's a camera that's very far away and shoots very wide in the in instant replay, they could zoom it in without right. it losing resolution. 
That's the only reason I, I have for 4K is is for in post. If you want to take something that is not so it's shot too far away right. and you want to fit it into 1920 by 1080, you have extra pixels to play extra parts. Exactly. Of the yeah. But other than that, I agree with you. And uh, I don't know why so many people are so stubborn in, in that. Like I have so many friends who just think, you know, no, you got to buy 4K cameras and all this stuff because the future is going there. Like, it was the same way with 3D when 3D first, you know, yeah, came around. I do. I just think for the gaming purposes, 3D is is definitely. Um, and I don't play games, but right. I know it's 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 a technology that has been fully embraced on the by the people on Twitch right now. People watching on Twitch, there, I'm sure they have their helmets on somewhere. <laughs> 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 um, anything I forgot to ask you about, or I no, should have asked you about this. This has been great. Well, I appreciate your time being here. Uh, it's www.broadcastsportscourse.com, and the other one is VeridityEntertainment.com. VeridityEntertainment.com, and I will put that, that in the description as well. Both links will be in the description. Hi, I wish you great success and continued success. And, uh, and you know, for our, our audience, I mean, I hope they will, people, young people looking for a vocation, I hope they will check out the course when you start it up again. Any pr- uh, prospective dates on that or not? Not, not, not yet. Okay. Well, let us know. Drop me a line and let us know, and I'll, I'll be sure to let the audience know I about it that. when it happens. I appreciate thanks, it. Thanks for coming. Have a great night, and bye for now. How is else, folks? Uh, again, uh, the links are in the description. Uh, I hope you will check it out, especially if, you, if you're looking for young person or even not so young person looking for a vo- vocation that it's a lot of fun to be, and it's um, I can tell you having done it, uh, that it's a, it's a lot of fun to be in that um, that service in that you know television broadcast production and streaming broadcast production. It's not for everybody. If you're not cool under under pressure, probably not for you. Uh, it, you know, it definitely takes a awareness. But I had no idea about how much until you mentioned it. How much you have to really know the storyline of the game, really know the teams, really know the players, know the numbers, all that kind of stuff. You know, I was just focusing on the uh, ability it takes to really, you know, get in focus on a shot really quick and pan really quick and smooth and all that kind of stuff. Um, but interesting conversation there. I hope you'll check it out. Links are in the description. Until tomorrow, I have three shows tomorrow, believe it or not. Um, and one of them uh, I'm really excited to talk talk to you about. Uh, so uh, tomorrow we have Marvin Williams Sr., who's the uh, father of Marvin Williams, the basketball player, uh, who has written a book about uh, his life as an NBA dad and a coach. And that's at 1 p.m. And then at 4.30 p.m., Mark Farner, the legendary guitar player from Grand Funk Railroad, one of my guitar heroes, will be with me at 4.30 p.m. for a live stream. And then uh, Steve Friedman will be with me uh, from Beyond Introversion. Steve is a guy who uh, has written a book and it talks uh, about uh, overcoming uh, severe introversion uh, to become successful in life. So that's my program for tomorrow. Till then, I'm Matt Napo for the Mind Dog TV podcast. Thanks for coming. Have a great night.
Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now.